Hey, welcome to the Monkey House Primates. So, thanks so much. I've asked around here to quickly uh, let you all know that we're in Sydney. We're about to be in Brisbane. So uh, very quick stop in Sydney. We're just here for a few nights. So come and see us. And then what are we doing? We're going up to Brisbane. We're going to do a Who Knew It with Matt Stewart at Good Chat. And we're also doing a couple of Dryer Dryers, our comedy festival show. It's the last run of the whole tour. So come on down, Brisbane. That's right. And in Sydney, we're at the Manning Bar and at the Chippo for the Who Knew It. Really pumped up. Hopefully see you all there. Uh, now on with the show. Ook, ook. What is that what the monkey say? Yeah, ooga cha cha. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, how's it going? Matt just dropping in here before the start of the episode. Um, kind of bummed out that I have to do this. Uh, we've recorded a great episode. Me and guest Jack Druce. Uh, we talked about the third most voted for, most popular, most requested Ape topic for April. Happy April, by the way. Can you believe it's already mid-April? We're doing it. This is uh, three-fifths of the way through. Well, really, after this episode, it's half of the way through. I'll explain that right now because my uh, audio on uh, this episode sucks. I did not connect my microphone correctly. Jack's is perfect. His sounds really good. I sent mine off to get fixed by an audio expert, uh, and he's made it better for sure, but it's... um, Still pretty rough to listen to, so I would fully understand if you can't get through this. Um, if you can, it's a great episode. It's one of my favourite ones we've done in recent times. We go through the history of King Kong uh, from the, the 30s all the way up till uh, recent times. We talk about some of the offshoot films, some of the real funny uh, spin-offs and, and sequels and whatnot. And then we uh, focus the second half of the episode really focusing in on the... Uh, the Peter Jackson version from 10-odd years ago. So, yeah, I, I've been thinking, do I put this out or not? Uh, I wasn't quite sure, but because I had so much fun making it, I thought, why don't I put it out and if people want to listen to it, they can, and if they want to skip it, obviously, you know, bloody skip it. I reckon I would because uh, it's hard to listen to a fuzzy uh, audio like this. But I've organised with Jack to... Uh, or record another episode uh this afternoon actually so hopefully it'll be out uh, tomorrow or the next day and we're gonna talk about the movie uh kong skull island the most recent of the kongs i think uh from the big screen so we'll uh be kind of, it'll be a follow-up to this episode but you'll be able to just skip this and, and listen to that one if you want as well uh it's the skull island one is a, a few people have said is p- possibly the best of all the king kongs anyway so I'm looking forward to talking that uh, about that. I'm just about to watch it after I upload this episode now. But anyway, yeah, so basically, listen if you want to, don't if you don't. I, as if you need my permission to skip a podcast. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but um, yeah, I just wanted to give you a heads up so you weren't like, what the fuck's wrong with this podcast? Am I uh, dying of coronavirus? Is one of the symptoms fuzzy... Uh, fuzzy sounding Matt Stewart on his podcast while Jack Drew sounds perfectly clear. Is that a symptom of COVID-19? 
I didn't want anyone freaking out in that way. Uh, anyway, if you're going to listen to it, enjoy the show. If not, um, keep your eyes peeled for the next couple of days where we'll be talking Kong Skull Island. If you do get through it, I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, and yeah, anyhow... On with the show. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to Primates, the podcast where we explore primates in popular culture from Chimpan A to Chimpan Z. This week on the show, joining us back in the monkey house, it's comedian, congophile, and all-round good guy, Jack Drews. Welcome, Jack. Hello, Matt. It's the first time I've been described as a congophile. Don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. <laughs> what, it's, um, it's, it's good, but you don't know how good. Yeah, you know yeah, mean? definitely. Um, right. I mean, I feel like it, this is this is the time to be described as a congophile. I wouldn't put it on like a, <laughs> you know, like a dating profile or a resume or, or anything. Yeah. This is this is yeah. where it matters. You're not, this is where I can be open about about it, about my congophilia. This is a safe space. Yeah, in the monkey house, especially in April, very safe space to be yeah. a big conghead right now. Uh, how, how have you been enjoying April so far? Um, man. It's been rough. It's been, uh, this is, at the time of recording this, we're like, uh, we're like 14 hours into April and, uh, haven't, yeah. haven't really left the house yet and probably won't for most of April, but, yeah. uh, we'll see how it goes. It's been good to, um, I watched some, uh, watched some stuff about King Kong to get prepped for this. Um, played a bit of Animal Crossing. It's a new game I'm getting into. Yeah, everyone's in there. What is that about? Are there uh, apes in there? There, there could be. I'm pretty new at it. And I don't get it, but there's a lot of fun animals. Um, both like big human-sized animal kind of fun creatures that you befriend and hang out with, but also like uh, wild animals that you sort of catch or you know that sort of thing. So I wouldn't rule out there being being monkeys in it. I, it's one of those games where everyone's into it and I'm sitting back without having tried it going, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some screen grabs and I don't get it. It, it probably the kind of thing you got to play probably to, to get it a bit better. Well, it took me a bit. Like I'm used to a video game being like you, uh, you know, you fight someone or you find an amulet or, you know, there's, there's sort of a big quest or you got to rescue someone, yeah. that kind of game where it's hard to get your head around like, oh, actually... Just have a really nice time gardening, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, then I get a prize, and they're like, the prize is a nice garden. <laughs> right. So it's sort of it's like life. It's probably perfectly time for people who aren't able to live their lives as normal now. Yeah, I think they might have. The Animal Crossing people may have had a, a hand in this pandemic. If I say so. Yeah. It's, it's a bold claim, but I think they have had the most to gain from all of this. I guess we. We should probably mention if anyone, just in case anyone's listening to this in like twenty twenty seven or something, uh, there's a global pandemic at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing this so, from yeah, my from I my parents' house. Is the reason for that? Yes, and I'm in the shed, so there's reason for it. not Jack's parents' shed, my yeah. own shed. 
that'd be weird. But um, yeah, it's cool to have you on. You suggested um, when you're on uh, about a month ago that you were keen to come on and talk about King Kong. Yeah, and I then, um, love King Kong. And then April comes along. Well, I'll put it up to the vote for listeners to vote for their most wanted topics. And for April, I'm doing the five most voted for ape topics. Yep. Are there any other months so that fall into this animal game? Any other months? I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. Uh, what it? Ma, ma, <laughs> Manchki. Manchki. <laughs> um, September. No. Um. Yeah, April is is the perfect obvious one, but yeah, it feels like any other one would be. How could you possibly? Unless there was a month that I haven't heard of called Macaque Vember or something. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there is. I don't know if I've gone through all the months. So I feel like the degree to like that would be the least of your worries if there was a month you hadn't heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> like the implications on this podcast would be so small compared to you, <laughs> your whole understanding of the world unraveling slowly. Not a new month that was invented, just one you'd never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, I'm happy. I thought it was so funny that you... There was, you, there was a... You just glitched out a little bit there. Okay, but, yeah, I think we might uh, be getting a so bit laggy if, already. If, if you just said a real funny joke, <laughs> don't take it personally. <laughs> this, is, this was one of the most voted for ones, obviously, uh, King Kong. Uh, it's been, it's been a movie multiple times. Yeah, three times I think the original films been well one once in nineteen thirty three and then two remakes. But there's been heaps of spin offs, and it's been the character's been leased to other companies to make in other movies and that sort of stuff. It's been suggested by quite a few people, Jack. Uh, and recently I remembered that when people suggest a topic in the same form, they can ask a question for the guest. Right. So I'm going to go through the suggestors and questions they've asked. Firstly, Tate Evans. He suggested King Kong in, in all its glory, the whole lifespan from 1933 onwards, yeah. which I, I think we're going to touch on. A historical deep dive. Focus on the, yeah, historical deep dive, and then we'll sort of zone zone in on uh, the Peter Jackson version from 2005, your favourite yeah. version. Uh, but Tate Evans asks, if you had to physically live as a primate for the rest of your life, I'm assuming it means non non-human primate yeah uh maintaining your human consciousness but not being able to speak which one would you pick oh that's good um i i think a spider monkey i think the idea of that kind of i'm, I'm working out heaps at the moment like uh just have nothing to do and i'm just and my my parents kind of shed just doing weights and stuff and i feel like you know, I used to like doing rock climbing and I can't do that anymore because all the gyms are closed and stuff. So the idea of, yeah, just the, I feel like if I was, had the athletic abilities and agility of a spider monkey, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't even talk anyway. I'd just be out there, you know, flipping and flexing on people, doing, grabbing stuff with my long tail. Do you think you just, you would, you'd still try and hang out with your current friends and family? I guess it'd be hard to because you can't. How do you tra- uh, communicate that to them? Wait, did they say I can't communicate or I can't talk? 
Oh, no, that's right. It said you can't talk, so you'd be able to write. So I could write a little... <laughs> my life really wouldn't change at all. I'd keep I'd keep my job. I'd keep... I did TV writing stuff. I think as long as there's... No one minded that one of the writers was a spider monkey. That would maintain going on. I I still... I could, I could tweet, you know? I think yeah. I think this would really be a, a plus for me. This whole be great in the pandemics, you know, if you're working from home anyway, they would, you wouldn't even have to tell them you've become a monk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't believe me if I did. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a great question, Tate, and an equally great answer from Jack. Uh, secondly, these other ones uh, mainly requested uh, Kong Skull Island, which is the even more recent version of the the Kong oeuvre. If that's yeah. being used correctly there. But anyway, hopefully they're happy with this uh, Kong historical deep dive instead. But Tony Martinez asks, what animal do you think is better than a primate and why? Uh, um, uh, penguins are better than primates. Uh, <laughs> and I'm inclu- including the primates uh, of humans in that. Yeah. Um, they s- swim faster, handle the cold better. Um, much better beaks. Uh, what more can I say? Better at catching fish. Especially when compared to the snub-nosed monkeys. If you're comparing a penguin beak to a snub-nosed monkey beak, then get out of here. Yeah, I think that's the right directive there. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Great question, Tony. Um, obviously, if if I was going to answer, which I won't, but there's no superior animal to a primate. (laughs) Even though penguins are great. Marcio, or Marcio, Marcio Millard asks, I've almost certainly butchered that name, Marcio Millard asks, who would win in a fight between five gorillas and, oh, he's sort of, and blank. Okay. I think that's up to me. Um, Who would win in a fight between five gorillas and 100 Emperor penguins. Um, well, where where is this taking place? Well, I know um, our sister podcast, the Weekly Planet, always does it on a standard football field. How damp is this football field? <laughs> Would you describe it as slippery? Uh, yeah, the roof's open, middle of winter, I guess. Yeah, maybe it's it's Moravian football ground in the eighties when they used to water it, so that opposition teams. Um, would be brought down to the low level of the Saints, skill wise. I was I was gonna say penguins, but um, once you put the caveat that it was the eighties, that was a, that's a definite, <laughs> definite primate win in the eighties. They yeah. had all the all the advantages back then. Yeah, that is true. Penguins Good were answer. relatively new at this sort of beast combat sport in the eighties. Yeah, it's, they've come so far. Yeah, uh, the game's evolved now. Nick Flanders Farmer, great name, he asks, what primate, fiction or real, do you see the most of yourself in? Oh, okay. Ooh, um, that's a very, very good question. Um, I don't know, I feel like you, can you answer first, because I feel like you've got a better Rolodex of, of popular primates yeah. off the top of your head. I'm trying to go through the well and think of a good one. Okay, uh... Some, some, I, you know, this is maybe more aspirational uh, than it is accurate, but I'd love to see myself in an orangutan. 
Um, I see myself outside them because we've both got red hair, but uh, inside, um, especially I'm thinking of Maurice from the Planet of the Apes reboots, sort of a teacher, very patient, very wise, uh, and a just great temperament. Yeah. But unflustable. Cannot be flustered. So, I mean, I don't think I'm, I don't really see myself in Maurice, but I'd love to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say uh, Diddy Kong because oh, yeah. I think I, you know, I, I aspire to, you know, just, just be fun and kind of be, you know, just not take things too seriously and, you know, muck around and have fun. But I also can be very competitive at times when it comes to racing or, you know, the battling or, or whatever it is, going on quests. I think I'm, I'm still driven in that way, but I also, you know, want to want to have fun and have a laugh along the way, much like Diddy Kong. Yeah, great answer. And finally, this is from Joel Tremblay, who writes or asks, one of my favourite primates is the lion-tailed macaque, or the wanderoo. <laughs> that's, that's less of a question, more of a statement. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can do nothing but agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. That is a question. <laughs> yeah. I should have, yeah, I should have just gone... I'll, I'll, so I'll ask the question. Is it, is it phrased as a true or false question? <laughs> yeah, 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 you left that bit off. True or false? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a false. You're primates. lying through your teeth. Yeah. I, I knew it. As soon as he opened his mouth, yeah. <laughs> he had that, that look in his eye that was trying to trap us. Oh, yeah. You, not to be, mate. Not to be. You can nice spot try. a trap a mile away. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been around this rodeo, yeah. monkey rodeo. <laughs> Or whatever. Alright, so we're talking about King Kong. When you say monkey um, rodeo, are you imagining monkeys like riding bulls <laughs> or humans riding monkeys who are trying to buck them off? I'm I'm picturing a, a monkey riding me. Right. <laughs> uh, but we're on the same team. I'm not trying to buck it. No. Even though it's tied a belt around my stomach yeah. too tight, which I think is how they get them to buck the... The it's more of a monkey dressage where you're both trying to impress the yeah. judges. Yeah, I'm trotting around the outside yeah. of the square for some reason. <laughs> so I've looked into... I've been trying to find the best article about King Kong overall, and I think it is actually the Wikipedia article. It's um, really great, and it's quite in-depth. Probably too in-depth for us to get through it all, to be honest, but... Um, let me know when it's getting boring and we'll move on to the next bit. So <laughs> this is the overview. Uh, or maybe I'll just read the in- introduction because this, I mean, this gets through a lot of it. King Kong is a giant movie monster <laughs> resembling an enormous gorilla. Uh, it's appeared in various media since 1933. Kong has been dubbed the eighth wonder of the world, a phrase commonly used within the films. It's funny, I kept hearing in the Jack Black version, I was sure he was saying the ape wonder of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, this, I don't know if that pun really even works. Yeah. But apparently that's not what he was saying. So, the ape wonder of the world. The ape wonder of the world. The character first appeared in the novelization of the 1933 film King Kong from RKO Pictures, with the film premiering about two months later. Isn't that funny that it, its first appearance was in a novel... Of the movie, but the movie hadn't even come out yet. Yeah, that's a window into into Hollywood in the past. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Would people want to... Let's generalize this movie by getting a book out first. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why. I wonder if they... If they just wrote the script and the mo- and the book at the same time, and then the book were like yeah. off to publish, and then the movie were like, Jesus Christ, we gotta <laughs> rent a camera or something. We gotta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could have been it. Like they they didn't go. Well, we could just delay the book till later. And then it's ready. I guess we should sell it. Different time. Yeah. Well, I guess the original film actually came out uh, pre nine eleven, and I think um, watching clips of it, you could really see. Uh, you could really see how that um, affected it. Also, um, it also came out pre-COVID-19. Yeah. Sorry. I d- Our movie's going to be changed now. Yeah. I completely yeah. blanked there, and I forgot that there's the, f- the final scenario happens in New York City, in yeah. which that being before 9-11 would be significant. But I thought you just meant, like, the political implications of how yes. the world changed out. Like, does he mean in the... In the like, do they do they talk about the Middle East or the military industrial <laughs> complex or how is how is that relevant? Honestly, everything changed when those towers came down, and uh, filmmaking was you know at the forefront of that. I, re- I reckon since since nine eleven in two thousand one, so the the Peter Jackson one was being developed from before nine. It sort of straddled nine eleven. Was first um, being developed in the mid nineties, right, and. Uh, so yeah, I wonder how that changed. I wonder if there was ever a consideration of updating the Empire State Building for the big finale. Is that in 1933? I'm guessing that was the big uh, building of New York. Mm. And maybe if it happened in, maybe if it was filmed again in 1995, maybe they would have gone for the Twin Towers instead. Yeah, that would have led to some pretty cool shots of it being able to jump between the towers and stuff. Yeah, like sort of doing those wall jumps like Mario, sort of going up in between. <laughs> Yes, that would have been sick. Yeah. Uh, but alas, not to be. Yeah. Because it, it did come out post 9 11. Um, the film, the original film, received universal acclaim upon its initial release. Uh, a, a sequel quickly followed the same year with The Son of Kong. Oh, the man. same year. <laughs> it was a big hit movie, and the exact same year in 1933, they got out a sequel. They banged out wild. two movies and at least one book. In the one year. That's a big year for monkeys. Amazing. Uh, and the the son of Kong featured little Kong. Yeah. <laughs> guesses the son. How are they... Uh, how is that pitch meeting looking? Where they're like, people loved the world's biggest ape, but what about a much smaller ape? <laughs> <laughs> Which is still pretty big. Yeah. But not as big. I think someone, one of the executives would be like, what about an even bigger monkey? They're like, you're out of your mind. the poster of it, the son of Kong looks like it's a, you know, it's like a big man in a suit. Yeah. In an ape suit. (laughs) So it's it's quite a big ape. Probably bigger than a normal sized ape, but not that big. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm, I'm guessing that's how they were able to rush it out. Yeah, they spent all their resources on getting a very big ape. Uh, in the 1960s, Toho produced King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962, hitting a larger Kong. So they made Kong bigger for this Yeah, time. they learned from their mistake. It, yeah. <laughs> and they uh, hit it, pitted it against their own Godzilla. 
Uh, and then in five years later, they released King Kong Escapes based on the King Kong show, which ran from 66 to 69. Wow. I guess it was a TV show. I hope it was like a chat show. Yeah. Late night talk show. <laughs> yeah. The band and everything. Different celebrity guests, Fantastic. the interviews. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1976, Dino De Laurentiis produced a modern remake of the original film uh, and then a sequel called King Kong Lives followed a decade later featuring a Lady Kong, <sighs> which is cool. What happens with That's the Lady it. Kong? I don't know. I don't know what... I don't know. Let me... King Kong... King Kong Lives. Let me find out the see what the um, synopsis here is. Uh, the 1986 American monster adventure film. Uh, what? After being shot down from the World Trade Center, which is a Twin Towers, oh. right? Well, there you go. Uh, Kong is, however, revealed to be... So the remake in the 70s did use the Twin Towers. Yeah. Amazing. Crazy. Uh, Kong is how... So, and it looks like he's killed... In, uh, in the remake, but then in the sequel, Kong is revealed to still be alive and is kept in a coma for about 10 years at the Atlantic Institute under the care of surgeon Dr. Amy Franklin. In order to save Kong's life, Dr. Franklin must perform a heart transplant and give Kong a computer-monitored artificial heart. However, he has lost so much blood that a trans transfusion is badly needed and to complicate matters, Franklin says there is no species of ape or an other animal whose blood type matches Kong's. Enter Hank Mitch Mitchell, adventurer. <laughs> Get out of there, Franklin's Hank. Of... <laughs> it's dangerous, Hank. Franklin's... Hank, you're, you're playing with fire here, Frank. <laughs> uh, so Hank becomes Franklin's love interest, uh, travels to Borneo, and... Uh, as he theorizes that Borneo and the island from the first film were once part of the same landmass. Feels like a little leap of logic mm. there. Uh, he captures a giant female ape who is dubbed Lady Kong. Mitchell brings her to the Institute to use her blood for King Kong's operation. The transfusion and the heart transplant are a success, but Kong escapes along with Lady Kong. Uh, Never. An insane, an insane army lieutenant colonel is, is called in with his men to hunt down and kill the two apes. Lady Kong is captured alive, but Nevitt's troops, uh, by Nevitt's troops, and imprisoned. Kong falls from a cliff and is presumed dead. Never presumed. Oh, big Kong mistake. Dead. <laughs> we learn nothing. Uh, however, as Franklin and Mitchell soon discover, Kong's artificial heart is beginning to give out forcing them to attempt a jailbreak. They discover that Lady Kong is pregnant with Kong's offspring. Oh, they're already getting ready for another yeah. sequel. The jailbreak is successful thanks to Kong, who, is who survived the fall and breaks his mate out. After being followed, attacked, and shot by the mil military, Kong kills Lieutenant Colonel Nevitt, who I think is the insane guy. <laughs> How did he get the job? That's what I was thinking. Uh, like, what's happening in this world where it's just a known fact that the leader of the military is like clinically insane, and everyone's like, "Well, someone's got to kill these giant apes." <laughs> that's uh, that's the old lieutenant colonel for you. Yeah. Just a little cuckoo. 
so Nevert uh, dies slowly near a military base. Oh, no, Kong slowly dies near a military base on a farm where Lady Kong gives birth to an infant son. Kong reaches out to touch his son just before dying. Having returned to Borneo, Lady Kong lives peacefully with her son in the jungle. Wow. What a film. I don't know why I ever bother watching films when I could just read them in three paragraphs on yeah. Wikipedia. That that really has it all. You got a <laughs> an, an artificial heart, uh you got King Kong in a big in a mysterious coma, you got some adventurer out there looking for giant ape blood, you got yes. an insane colonel, you got romance. Ape on ape romance, finally. Yeah, about time. Thank you. <laughs> That is that was a wild ride, um, and yeah, and you had the twin towers. That that sounds like it's got everything you want. Yeah, I was thinking they were going towards having the doctor infuse her blood into. I did as well. <laughs> I thought she was going to be the reason he became Lady Kong, which yeah. would have been maybe the only way to improve that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does mean that 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 script is still on the cards, though. If you want to get into screenwriting and maybe make the ultimate King Kong film. Yes. Oh, combine the elements of all. Yeah, I think... And then, you know, with a bit of our own... Much like she should have done, we could infuse our own blood. Yeah. Uh, so so that gets us up through the 70s. Then uh, the second remake of the original was 2005's uh, King Kong by Peter Jackson, which we we're going to talk about in more detail soon. But since then, there's been another one, only 12 years after that, Kong Skull Island from 2017, which was set in 1973, and that's part of the legendary entertainment's MonsterVerse, which began with legendary reboot of Godzilla in 2014. Uh, crossover sequel Godzilla vs. Kong is also, uh, I think it's planned for this year. I wonder if that'll still be happening. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's it. That's one of the interesting things about it is that uh, it's Kong is now in the public domain. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so we could make we could legitimately 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 make a Kong film. I would love to figure out which of these kind of well-known fantasy characters are public domain and write the biggest like the Avengers Endgame style, but just like yeah. we got. Kong, we got Dracula, we got Robin Hood. They're all there. They're duking it out. This is good. And maybe even some, you know, just... Are you able to make films about dead people? Like, you know, there's like Abraham Lincoln vampire killer. Yeah. Or whatever. I guess we could put in other... Just other dead presidents or... Yeah. Maybe Harold Holt comes back <laughs> from drowning. We thought he was drowned, but he's just been in a in a hospital all along. There's always that scene and where... women's blood. Yeah. <laughs> There's always that scene where Godzilla sort of emerges up from from out in the in the ocean, and you have that. But Harold Harold Holt is just like standing on his head, like wielding some kind of <laughs> some kind of massive sword, approaching New York City. And he's and he's rebranded himself as Harold Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is something. That's great. Oh, they'd be forming alliances. Oh yes. He'd be if you're gonna pick any Australian prime dead Australian prime minister, he'd probably be the one. He's got the most interesting story as being the only one who's disappeared at sea. Yeah, right? I think you could maybe Bob Hawke. Yeah, maybe Bob Hawke 
uh, is um, maybe resurrected by some kind of witch doctor because they know he's the only one who understands Harold Holt. <laughs> and so they, he's, they have to get him back to, to give them a, a worthy adversary. Oh, yeah, great. Yes. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's somehow infused with hawk DNA yeah. and be, so he can fly. He's got hawk wings. Yes. So it's Bob Hawk, Bob the Hawk Hawk versus Harold Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. So we're, we're already writing We've already written single. a very good movie. <laughs> Uh, let's get back into the wiki article. So this is now the overview of the character. The King Kong character was conceived and created by American filmmaker Marion C. Cooper. I think in the olden days, everyone seemed to have a middle initial. Yeah, they really do. They had. A... There's something classic about that for some reason. And I feel like maybe, I don't know if it was just people who were writing or in the public eye, but I feel like people had way crazier names back then. Like, yeah. I think, because I just did... um. Uh, I did Dave Warnicke's podcast, Book Cheat, recently, and it was um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I think was in the in the 40s, I guess, maybe, is when it was set, and every single new person introduced to the plot was like, uh, Bartholomew J. Hippo the Ninth, or like, <laughs> G'day, my name is uh, Arthur B. Krusty Treesomot. Like, just everyone, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't set in, in Europe or something where they'd names would be different to what you used. It's just, you know, it's just an American story, but everyone yeah, was what, like a science fiction character name. What's the main character's got a great name, right? Like Heather Go Lightly or something? Um, something like that? Holiday Go Lightly. Yeah, amazing. Great stuff. Great name. Yeah. Um, but this, I guess this is his birth name, Marion C. Cooper. Even in itself, that he sounds like he was destined for greatness. Yeah. It's it's just names that you can say in that sort of um, in that nineteen thirties announcer voice of like Marianne C. Yeah. Cooper. Good to What's see you. What's your middle initial? I feel like uh, S for Stephen. I got Jack S. Druce. Jack S. Druce. Oh, it's not great. What about Jack you? Jack S. Druce. J. Matthew J. Stewart. Matthew J. Yeah, I think pretty... that's all right. Yeah, Jack Druce in itself has got a classic feel about it. Yeah, I think it's all right. Um. Bruce. Uh, what or or if I uh, did the like the it's more of an author thing, but if I was if I went by J S. Bruce, that's oh, got a yeah. good sort of fantasy author vibe. Yeah, J S. works nicer together. Yeah. J S. Bruce. Yeah, I like that. Uh, are you Jack by birth or John? Uh, Jack, and I got no time for those those tricksters. <laughs> I reckon you must have been the first generation to just go. Why are we bothering with the pretense? Yeah, I think I'm actually named after my grandfather, whose name is John. Actually, like we've just we've just corrected his mistake. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I found those shortenings of names that don't shorten them and fully change the names. They're one of the weirder things. It that is humanity's crazy. Come up with. Yeah, it's like yeah, my name's Steve, but you can yeah call me Arthur, like. Why? Name yourself <laughs> Arthur. What, what's happening? Just be Arthur. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, you know, cut cut the fuss out of here and just get on with it. They had more time back then. Yeah. <laughs> it, Not life expectancy-wise. Yeah, but... they weren't on Instagram. They had time to think about this kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. 
Uh, okay, so so it's created and conceived by Marion C. Cooper. In the original film, the character's name is Kong, a name given to him by the inhabitants of the fictional Skull Island. So it's always been Skull Island from the beginning. Yeah. That was something I didn't realise. Because I should say, um, until last night, I'd never seen any of the King Kong films. Even though I watched it, I'm like, yeah, this is what I was thinking it would be. Yeah. I, I think I pieced together the basic story in my head. There were things that surprised me, like dinosaurs. Yeah, they yeah. They came out of nowhere. That was cool. They were great. Um, and the yeah, lots of all the huge uh, fauna was great. The big bugs and all the yeah, other bits such and big pieces. bugs. Um, yeah, those worms that had teeth, rows and rows of teeth. That that was one of the bits that really traumatized me when I first watched it. When one of them gets gobbled up by those big worms. Yeah, his head doesn't he? I think it might even be patron saint of this podcast, Andy Circus. Yeah. Who plays two characters in this, or in the sorry, in the two thousand five version, the he plays uh, the cook, whose name's something like Sloppy, yeah, <laughs> and he plays King Kong. Uh, he can do it all. It was funny because I forgot he was Kong, and I'm like, Sloppy looks like Andy Circus, yeah. and then I looked and I'm like, holy shit, that is Andy Circus. He's he's I and I knew that because he's played two of the best uh, on screen apes. Uh, in Caesar from Planet of the Apes and King Kong. Yeah. Do you think it's some kind of contractual thing where it's like they've got him already, like they've just paid him yeah. for the day? So it's like, all right, you yeah. finished Kong, slap on an apron, we're going to make the most out of this contract. I think, yeah, that makes some sense. But the problem is that he had to put on two hours worth of makeup to do Kong every day. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe that's why he's got the like the big hat and the mustache and everything. On his face when he's playing sloppy. Yeah. <laughs> if he takes it off, he's just covered in those dots and the... <laughs> it's all dots yeah. under the mo. It's not sloppy, is it? But it's something like that. Yeah. It may as well be sloppy. I really wanted to um really wanted to rewatch this before we did it and I didn't I wasn't able to, but I've I've went through some clips of it and uh I tried to because I think I watched it so many times when it when it came out, I was really, I was such a massive um, Peter Jackson fan. Like, I was so crazy about Lord of the Rings that it, uh, I feel like this was one of the last um, movies of when you're like a teenager and you're waiting for a movie to come out. Like, you've got it got it on the calendar. You're like, oh, man, it's only only a couple oh, weeks so till cool. this comes out. Because you, you were prime, prime age for a big, big sort of blockbuster, CGI blockbuster like this, right? You were being a teenager? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know how... Well, it's... Oh, five. Oh, five, so 15 years ago. Yeah, I would have been, like, 14. Yeah, that feels like... I was watching it going... It, it's long, the Peter Jackson one. It goes for over three hours. Yeah. And I reckon I'm like, I would have loved this more when I was younger, I think. Yeah. But... Uh, it was kind of three movies in one. Anyway, we're going to get to that later. Yeah, Look yeah. at all the sizzle we're doing. <laughs> so, so Skull Island's always been part of the canon for Kong, uh, and and there's these uh, the inhabitants of the local island worship Kong as a god. Uh, somewhere in the Indian Ocean, where Kong lives with other oversized animals such as plesiosaurs, herosaurs, and various dinosaurs. An American film crew led by Carl Denham who in our version is played by Jack Black, captures Kong and takes him to New York City to be exhibited as the eighth wonder of the world, or eighth or eight, wonder of As it the will world. be called in our film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kong escapes and climbs the Empire State Building, 
I think this this is true in the original and in the 2005 version. Only to fall from the skyscraper after being attacked by airplanes with guns. Denim comments, it wasn't the airplane. So everyone's around huddling around the big carcass of Kong on the on the ground. And why wouldn't you? It must have. It's a thirties. Isn't it a weird tactic? So yeah, it's something I learn this all the time and do go on whenever with another podcast I do about old historical stories. Whenever we do it, ones from the distant past, like the early twentieth century. Everything is like this thing happened. This kid disappeared. His parents' house was crowded with strangers yeah. <laughs> wanting to get a glimpse. <laughs> What's going on? They'll just huddle around the outside wanting to see the like, believe parents or whatever. Real strange. Yeah, it's like seeing, um, I see like people of note arriving in the country. It's like every time you watch a like a boxing documentary or something, it's like someone arrives for the fight. This isn't at the fight or a press event or something. It's just them walking off the plane and there's a big crowd of people there cheering. It's like, get tickets to the, the fight. Same what are you past, doing? Basically. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. You said like the Beatles, obviously that was an, another level. Yeah. But um, anything from, yeah, maybe 60s and before seemed like a thing's happening near us. Yeah. Let's go there. You want to go see a Whether pretty it's like big a boat? Disaster or... <laughs> yeah, waving away boats. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the internet's ruined everything for, for me in that way. Yeah. It's like, I'll just see a picture of it online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty big, I guess. Yeah, it's much um, easier to see big boats now. You don't have to drag yourself all the way down to the harbour for a good time. Yeah. So the... So everyone's crowding around, and Denim, who's brought Kong back from Skull Island, uh, says this line in both the 33 film and in the 2005 film. He says, someone says, well, the airplanes killed him. And then uh, Denim comes in and says, it wasn't the airplanes. It was Beauty killed the beast. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how both films finish, basically. Yeah. If I was directing that, I would add an extra like 20 seconds to the ending where the other guy just kind of looks at him and rolls his eyes. He's like, you knew what I meant, Denim. Come on, dude. What are you... Give me a break. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. That would be so good. I would also change it so... It feels so clumsy to me. I would change it to say, it was beauty that killed the beast. Yeah. It's like... You've just made a three-hour film. Can we get one more yeah. word in there? Say it like a normal person. Yeah, that's when you decide to edit the, <laughs> the speech. Uh, so, yeah. I, it's weird that I've, I've talked about the, the ending before we've even talked about the film, but anyway. Uh, so here's a, here's a bit about the concept and creation. Uh, Marion C. Cooper became fascinated by gorillas at the age of six. In 1899, he was given a book from his uncle... Called Explorations and Adventures in Equatorial Africa. This the book, written in 1861, chronicled the adventures of Paul Du Chalu in Africa and his various encounters with the natives and wildlife there. Cooper became fascinated with the stories involving the gorillas, in particular, uh, and De Chulu's depiction of a particular gorilla known for its extraordinary size that the natives describe as invincible and king of the African forest. When Du Chulu and some natives encountered a gorilla later in the book, he described it as a hellish dream creature that was half man, half beast. Oh. 
That's great. There's so I think I think a lot of it. I wonder how much of this is true because it sounds like uh, Cooper also took a lot of ideas from existing films that had been made in the couple of years before. Mm. So I wonder if he's then going, oh, no, no, when I was six, I read a book about apes that I loved, so I was always going to make yeah. a big ape film. <laughs> yeah, it was always the plan. Uh, as, as an adult, Cooper became involved in the motion picture industry. While filming The Four Feathers in Africa, he came into contact with a family of baboons. This gave him the idea to make a picture about primates. A year later... <laughs> oh, look at them baboons over there. <laughs> Hang on a minute, this gives me an idea. <laughs> see those monkeys there? What if they were real big, see? That's a fair... Imagine if they were one and yeah. big. <laughs> and a different species. <laughs> uh, a year later, when he got to RKO, Cooper wanted to film a terror gorilla picture. As the story was being fleshed out, Cooper decided to make his gorilla giant-sized. Cooper stated that the idea of Kong fighting warplanes on top of a building came from him seeing a plane flying over New York insurance building, then the tallest building in the world. He came up with the ending before the rest of the stories, as stated. Uh, quote, Without any conscious effort or of thought, I immediately saw in my mind's eye a giant gorilla on top of the building. This is, I love this guy. That's awesome. <laughs> that's the, that's uh, the writing process. By... It's, such a, it's such a thrilling writing process, just being... That open is just like I was imagine I saw a plane, I imagined a big gorilla just, just smashing it, just just really just smashing it to pieces. And then I thought, I don't know, I'll, I'll write something else. Get to that. Yeah. How do we get there? Yeah. Well, I guess we gotta go find the gorilla somewhere. I like the idea that's, yeah, that's basically the rest of the story. Yeah. I like the idea that putting in anything else was like the uh that was the like the studio forced him to do that. His his vision was just a big monkey smashing stuff on a on a screen. Yeah, for two hours. That's all. Yeah. What else do you need? Give the people what the they want. I'm not. I will not compromise on this. Well, we're not making it. All right, I'll compromise. What do you want? We'll go to the jungle. No worries. Yeah, as it goes on to talk about, I read this before. It goes on to talk about he he saw a Komodo dragon somewhere, and that was, he was. The idea was he was going to um, go to Africa to film it, and they're like, eh, that's going to be expensive. And then he ended up dropping a lot of those ideas and, and um, uh, saving money by not having to go over to, F to Africa to film it, I believe, in the end. It's such a lazy writing to be like, who am I? I'm a filmmaker who wants to film a big ape for a movie, and it's difficult. All right, well, I need to write a script. What about a filmmaker who wants to film a giant ape for a movie and he goes and does it? It's wild. It, saying it like that, it's wild how many rewrites this script had. It had so many. Writers were hired and fired. Yeah. Um, it was such a long process, but basically it ended up just being what you've said, yeah. the story of the making of this film. Yeah, wild. Uh it goes on for quite a while, but I'm I'm thinking we probably should. Uh, what's this? It says when designing King Kong, Cooper wanted him to be nightmarish, a nightmarish gorilla monster, as he described Kong in a 1930 memo. Quote: His hands and feet have the size and strength of steam shovels. His girth is that of a steam boiler. <laughs> what's <that>? Yes. <laughs> This is a, a monster with the strength of a hundred men, but more terrifying is the head, 
a nightmare head with bloodshot eyes and jagged teeth set under a thick mat of hair, a face half beast, half human. Does he? Yeah, but what does it look like compared to Steam? Yeah. <laughs> Half beast. His arms are like big steam mops. Yeah. The power of 100 steam men. <laughs> he lives in a sauna. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it ended up being. So I, I don't know if you've seen any clips of the original. It was like a stop animation thing. Mm. Which I imagine would have looked super cool at the time, but now it looks, you know, like a 1933. <laughs> stop animation yeah i just it's like it's like we were talking about like you're comparing it against watching a ship leave or looking at a (laughs) like a envelope that a statesman had held once or something like that's what it was up against so i'm sure people would be delighted to see anything that's true i think it yeah people were pretty excited whoa look at that it's a (laughs) it's like an envelope come to life only better yeah this is in living memory of like those that uh, recording of a train coming to the camera and everyone thought it was going to kill them. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. People would be watching this movie that that saw that when they were kids and they were like, "Oh, technology's gone a long way since then." And I'm not going to be fooled I, again. I, I know this monkey that. is not going to jump through the screen <laughs> and beat me to death. Fool me once, Hollywood. <laughs> And they're going in with a brave face, yeah. but they all squint yeah. just as hard as they did first time around. <laughs> you know, the origin of the name uh, apparently came about because uh, Cooper was fond of strong, hard-sounding words that started with the letter K. Some of his favourite words were Komodo, <laughs> Kodiak, and Kodak. <laughs> this is a grown man. Yeah, here's a list of my favourite yeah. words. That, it's so funny that he would have a list... And that that list would be known public knowledge enough that it would be included then in his Wikipedia article. Like, I'm sure I have favourite words if I really dig into it. But... Yeah. All right, give us some of your favourite words. That's what I mean. It's it's really... I feel like... um, I like the word word bugle. Oh, bugle's great. I like the way that sounds. Um, I like the word poltergeist. Oh, fantastic word. Um, so if we can find a, a pattern here, mm. so we we know what to name our our version of Kong. Um, a word I really There's two G yeah. sounds there. Well, strangely enough, the other one I was going to say is uh, the word gambit as a strategy. Like if someone says, uh, if you do a particular type of thing when you're podcasting or something, and then it gets known as Stuart's gambit because of how right. famous you made. I feel like that's something I go to a lot. So I'm going to say Gambit, yeah, Bugle, Gambit. Poltergeist, Gambit would be my favourite word. All right. I mean, Gambit's already been taken by, I think, X-Men or something like that. Yeah. But uh, how do we work that in? So, Pol- Poltergambit or something. Pult. That's real catchy. Bugambit. Bugambit. Bugambit, the monster. Hugh, Hugh Gambit. Hugh Gambit. <laughs> Could be a name of someone. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a good name. The bugle's already taken from another thing, isn't it? I think that's maybe what Spider-Man writes for or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those newspaper things. The bu- mm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I do have a Wikipedia page. So I'm going to somehow figure out, demand my favourite words be added to it. Right. Well, I think I think hopefully a listener here is a Wikipedia editor. Yeah. And they can 
make that happen. It's public. It's, it's on the record story. now. Yeah. They can link to this podcast. Yeah. Okay, I'm just saying what I'm just skipping through here. Yep. What does he say here? After Cooper got to RKO, the um the film studio. Yeah. British mystery writer Edgar Wallace was contracted to write the first draft of the screen story. It was simply referred to as The Beast. Okay, okay, which is pretty good. Yeah. That's another um, X-Men character, yeah. I think. Uh, I know that because we did a whole episode of this show about it. Um, okay, played by Dr. Fraser Crane in one of the films. I've, I've seen that one. It's good. Uh, RKO executives were unimpressed with this bland title. David O. Selznick came in and said, okay, do you think Beast is bland? How about this? Jungle Beast. <laughs> but Cooper was unimpressed and wanted to name the film after the main character. He stated he liked the mystery word aspect of Kong's name and that the film should carry the name of the leading, mysterious, romantic, savage creature in the story. Wow, that's quite a quote. Such as Dracula and Frankenstein. I think he's, he's bang on okay. about that. Dead right. Yeah, I think it was definitely smart, Cooper. Done it again. We wouldn't be doing this podcast okay. about Jungle Beast. Jungle Beast sounds, yeah. I imagine there's a, there's probably six movies, low-budget films called Jungle Beast yeah. over the years, and they're all probably real great. Um, RKO sent a memo to Cooper suggesting the titles Kong, King of Beasts, Kong, The Jungle King, and Kong, the Jungle Beast, which combined his and Selznick's proposed titles. As time went on, Cooper would eventually name the story simply Kong, with Ruth, Ruth Rose writing the final version of the screenplay. I'm pretty sure there was a couple of versions in between that, though, with different writers again. Uh, because David O. Selznick... Actually, I think one of the writers died uh, and wasn't able to complete it as well. It was all, yeah, pretty... I was going to say long process. I don't know if it was long because everything was done so quick back yeah. then. But it was, you know, an involved process. One of the writers it? tried to climb the Empire State's building and was gunned <laughs> down by the military during the <laughs> writing process. And and one of the other writers was watching and said, I've got an idea. Because <laughs> uh, there's a whole section on appearance and abilities. But I think, you know, the appearance is, a, for the most part, a big ape. Yeah. A big gorilla. I think it changes depending on the version, but basically it's always some sort of big gorilla. Only they they didn't uh, want to make it too much like a gorilla because they, they found the way their butts stand out and their legs are shorter, a bit too comical. Yeah. So yeah. Then they sort of streamlined the body a little bit to make it a bit more humanoid. Yeah. I love that it's, it is typically like a big ape, but not like that you could make a King Kong film where it's still just, it's just a very normal-sized man who's not an ape at all, and the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah. still plays out exactly the same way. But just, like, <laughs> they go to this mysterious island and find King Kong, who's just a guy. He's, like, five foot nine. <laughs> just... He's just got real good marketing. Yeah. That's a good idea. It's the right merge the Wizard of Oz with Kong. Yeah. And he's still... So everyone, he's, he's behind a curtain... People still pay um, money to see him in the chained up in New York. And does he still break free and climb the Empire State Building? Uh, yeah, these these chain manufacturers are really phoning it in at this point. They were like, <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's a fun part in the in the Peter Jackson version where everyone, like the audience, when he brings him back to Broadway as a show, yeah. Um, to reassure the audience, he says, "Don't worry, this is uh, Chrome. Was he something like Chrome Steel? Chrome Chrome Steel? Yeah. And they all applaud. Yeah. Instantaneously in unison, they applaud Chrome Steel. <laughs> it's good fun. Uh." These are, I was talking about the legal rights before. So, uh, Wiki says, while one of the most famous movie icons in history, King Kong's intellectual property status has been questioned since his creation. Featuring in numerous allegations and court battles, the rights to the character have always been split up with no single exclusive rights holder. Different parties have also contested that, that various aspects are public domain material and therefore ineligible for copyright status. When Marion C. Cooper created King Kong, he assumed that he owned the character, which he had conceived conceived in 1929 outright. Cooper maintained that he had only licensed the character to RKO for the initial film and sequel, but had otherwise owned his own creation. In 1935, Cooper began to feel something was amiss when he was trying to get a Tarzan versus King Kong project off the ground for Pioneer Pictures. Uh... After David O. Selznick suggested the project to Cooper, a flurry of legal activity over using Kong, the Kong character that followed, Pioneer had become a completely independent company by this time and, and access to properties that RKO felt were theirs was no longer automatic. Gave Cooper pause as he came to realise that, uh, that he might not have full control over his product uh, from his own imagination. Oh, man. Years later. Isn't that wild? Yeah. You'd think... You'd have that written down. I mean, these days you probably would, but I guess the whole movie industry was pretty young back then. Yeah, that would the suck. The orig- original film was made in what they call the pre-code era or something, so there were less rules. A code must have come in at some point in the 30s or 40s where more rules came in. They weren't able to show women's legs anymore. That was one example yeah. that was... I mean, I assume uncovered legs probably. <laughs> I don't know... It was like a shoot above the waist only yeah. stuff. But... Years later, in 1962, Cooper found out that Arco was licensing the character through John Beck to Toho Studios in Japan for the King Kong vs. Godzilla project. Cooper had assumed his rights were unassailable and was bitterly opposed to the project. In 1963, he filed a lawsuit to enjoin distribution of the movie against John Beck, as well as Toho and Universal. Uh, Universal. Cooper discovered that Arco had also profited from licensed pro- uh, products featuring the King Kong character, such as model kits uh, produced by Aurora Plastics Corporation. Like, how, how annoyed would you be? You're like, well, wait, what? My baby. I was going to make this. I was going to make a real. He can hardly argue that it was about you know artistic integrity. Yeah. Because he, he wanted to use it to make a Kong versus Tarzan <laughs> film. But. Uh, I'm loving this, um, but I, I feel like it's very funny the the approach we're getting to this of, like, King Kong's the most thrilling Hollywood, like, <laughs> giant ape, battle, New York City, airplanes, <laughs> romance, danger. It's the most thrilling thing, and we're just, like, going through the, the legal implications <laughs> of the the courts in the 1940s. <laughs> yeah. No, you're making a pretty good point. I just saw how long we've been going... Uh, for a while, which probably should uh, look to get into the film. 
there, I, there was another one, a, a lawsuit we talked about in a, when we did a Donkey Kong episode a year or so back where um, Universal filed a lawsuit against Nintendo. Yeah. Um, saying Donkey Kong was um, breaching their copyright. But um, they Nintendo ended up winning uh, because they realized that uh, Universal did not have exclusive trademark rights to the King Kong character. The courts ruled that trademark was not among the rights Cooper had sold to Universal, indicating that Cooper plainly did not obtain any trademark rights in his judgments against RKO, since the California District Court specifically found that King Kong had no secondary meaning. And the wild thing in this was Universal fought another court battle where they were saying that uh, it was in the public domain, so they were able to use it. And then they were arguing in a case soon after that it was theirs and and Nintendo couldn't use it. So they kind of fucked themselves over when that came out. And um, there was some story about, I think, the who's the that Nintendo character that's like a blob that eats everything? Oh, um... Kirby. Kirby, yeah. Kirby was the name of Nintendo's uh, uh, lawyer in that case, I think, and they named Kirby after him <laughs> as incredible. like a tribute to him. Yeah, that's a pretty wild story. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Anyway, you're right. We are we're getting so sidetracked. I'm going down. There's like a Superman comic where it's um, there was a time where uh, this is Meso from the Weekly Planet told us that there was a time where comic book um, producers realized that uh, their issues would sell more if they had an ape on the front cover. Yeah. So there's like there's a Superman one that is clearly Superman battling Kong only there. It's called Titano the Super Ape. <laughs> Oh my god! How that's that's so good. I don't know how. I'm not a huge comic book guy, but I feel like they that's better than Superman. Who's? I feel like that is more deserving of its own series than any superhero. Titano the Super Ape. <laughs> and and on the front cover of this issue, it's um, what is it? Issue from Superman one thirty eight. Uh, it's got a thought bubble coming out of Superman's head, looking at Titano the Super Ape. Climbing a building and shoot, look, looks like it's shooting rays at him out of his eyes. Yeah. And Superman's having this thought King Kong was only make believe, but Titano is real, and his kryptonite vision prevents me from capturing him. It's like a little weird diss to King Kong as well. Like, that was fake, but this is real. That's so good. Crypto- All right, should we get into to the um, Roger Ebert review of the 2005 King Kong? Absolutely. Well, um, so take us back to when you first saw it. So you're, you've got it marked in your calendar. Is This is after Lord of the Rings? Yeah, this is this is Peter Jackson's next film after Return of the King, I believe. And I was, I was so all about Lord of the Rings, like beyond the... Uh, 
beyond the movies like me and my friends were we collected like the um i don't know if you've ever been a like into warhammer or any of that kind of stuff but there was like all the little plastic models that you collect and paint and like it's like a tabletop game that you battle each other on and so i was all into that kind of stuff is that like is it that is that like you know world war ii figurines or is that like sort of mythical like vikings and stuff Uh, i know vikings aren't mythical but yeah no warhammer is it's like its own thing of yeah there's sort of uh there's a few different types there's warhammer and then there's i think warhammer 40k it's called where that's like more science fiction and original warhammer is more like like ogres and elves and goblins and that kind of thing and then they did some sort of franchise deal with lord of the rings when lord of the rings was really popular in the early 2000s with the films where they could get yeah all these figurines that you would like paint and get and so you'd build up your team and it was like a big strategy book where so let's say you have aragorn and he has this many points and stuff but then you could also just have a goblin and the goblin would be like way weaker than aragorn so if you had aragorn is a certain distance he can move and if he gets next to the goblin then both teams would roll dice and aragorn will probably win because he's got more power like he'd have more dice uh, and right. stuff like that but then if you had more goblins you could swarm him like there's there's just this just a sort of uh strategy game i guess right so it's, it's, it's i was gonna say it's almost like a board game version of dungeons and dragons but that's not quite right either um well i mean dungeons and dragons there's is more elements of it maybe there's probably more room for imagination in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. It's very much you just follow the rules and roll the dice, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um before sorry to get sidetracked one more time, but I was I read this before and I thought it was pretty interesting talking about um Peter Jackson's love of Kong. Yeah. From a young age. So this is from Wiki again from the two thousand five King Kong page. Um Peter Jackson was nine years old when he first saw the 1933 film and was in tears in front of the TV when Kong slipped off the Empire State Building. At age 12, he attempted to recreate the film using his parents' Super 8mm film camera and a model of Kong he made of wire and rubber from his mother's fur coat for the hair. Uh, But he, he couldn't make it happen and he eventually abandoned the project. Um, it was his favourite film, though. And one of the main inspirations for his decision to become a filmmaker as a teenager, he read books about the making of King Kong and collected memorabilia, as well as articles from famous monsters of filmland. Jackson paid tribute to the 1933 film by introducing, including, sorry, he paid tribute by uh, to the original film by including Skull Island as the origin of the zombie plague in his 1992 film Brain Dead. Did you ever see Brain Dead? I haven't seen Brain Dead. No. I haven't seen it either. I think it's like a like a low budget classic, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it really kind of launched um, him. Because yeah, this is what I found really interesting. I didn't, I, I don't remember anyone who hadn't. He hadn't really had a big hit at this point, but the, it was like he was being fought over by studios. Yeah. Um, during the filming of his 1996 film The Frighteners, Universal Pictures was impressed with his dailies and early visual effects footage. The studio was adamant to work with Jackson on his next project and in late 1995 offered him the chance to direct a remake of the 1954 film Creature from the Black Lagoon. He turned down the offer. Already I'm like, wait, what? Who's turning down yeah. offers to make films from Universal? I'm like, and because he at that point still would have been nowhere near 
uh, household name or anything. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I would I would uh, direct a remake of the Black Lagoon for Universal any day. I would too. If they call In me. Up. If they're listening, we we could do it together. Yeah. We could be like the modern day Cohen brothers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're brothers though yeah. now, Jack. Okay. Uh, so he turned out that offer. But Universal became aware of Jackson's obsession with King Kong and subsequently offered him the opportunity to direct that remake. Um, and because uh, they didn't have to worry about uh, lawsuits because of the public domain stuff. Yeah. Um, he turned down that offer as well to remake his favourite film. What a maverick. With a big budget. But then he realised uh, later, he's like, uh, if I don't do it, someone else will, and they won't love it like I do, basically. Uh, so he was worried they make a terrible film. That haunted him, so he changed his mind and he said yes after all. What a funny thing to I be just... haunted by. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's a very good life where if you're, like, waking up in a cold sweat at night thinking about someone might make a subpar King Kong film. <laughs> ah! No, no, no. I don't want to do it, yeah. <laughs> but what about this nightmare world? <laughs> uh, he was working. Oh, he was working with Harvey Weinstein to get the film rights for The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, uh, and then 20th Century Fox was trying to hire him to make the rebooted Planet of the Apes. Uh, he turned down Planet of the Apes, uh, but Weinstein was taking longer than expected to buy the Lord of the Rings rights. Uh, so he decided to move forward with King Kong then. Weinstein was furious, apparently. Yeah. And to be honest, now, I don't, I, looking back, I think Peter Jackson shouldn't have even cared. Yeah. But as a result, Jackson proposed a deal between Universal and Miramax where the studios would co-finance uh, with his production company, Wingnut Films. Uh so um, Universal would do the U.S. distribution Mir Miramax uh, overseas. Uh, Jackson got final cut privilege. He just got a really great deal, including a uh, percentage of gross profits oh, wow. and artistic control. And he was also allowed to film at all in New Zealand. That's a great so just deal. Like, oh, how did he have so much power? This is before Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I think if you turn down enough movies that people just think you're, you're the king... <laughs> If you're just like, you know, everyone else is like, oh, please, Universal, let me direct Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then you're like, nah, don't want to do it. Don't want to do King Kong. As I've said, my favorite movie, don't want to do it. Don't want to do Planet of the Apes. Who cares? And then they're just like, God, we got to rope this guy in. He's the best. Uh, we assume. Yeah. <laughs> you know, He's been nagging us so good. Yeah. I regret saying yes to that that we would direct Creature from the Black Lagoon. If you want to waste your time with that, Matt, you go ahead, but I'm going to hold out for hold out for the big fish, you know? Oh, that's why you're, you're a player like me. I'm down here. Wait for a good deal. Anyway, so this goes on, um, and eventually uh, that early version of the film is put on ice because um, I think it's because the Lord of the Rings stuff gets going again. What was it? Um yeah, there are all these different ideas about it. Lots of drafts they were working on. A lot of things in the original script were changed. Like, he'd, he, I think he, he changed um, Jack, the Jack character from, uh, in the, he eventually becomes the script writer. Yeah. But in the original version, he was a, uh, a World War One fighter pilot. 
who was struggling with the loss of his best friend. That's a pretty big change. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the, cha- the movie changed a lot. Basically... Was his best friend the giant the... ape? Yes. That would be a traumatic situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that one, that version was put on ice. Oh, actually, it was because Universal got cold feet because all these bigger ape movies and stuff were coming out. Godzilla came out. Mighty Joe Young was coming out, the new Planet of the Apes. So, like, actually, we're going to put this on ice for a while. And then Jackson moved over and got stuck into the Lord of the Rings instead. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, which was quite a big success. Uh, can you say something? Yes. Yeah. Hello, how do you do? I'm good. Sorry, someone was messaging me on Facebook and the audio was coming in. So I went to mute oh. the tab on Facebook, but it muted what we're talking through as well. Oh, so I just thought, no sorry, if you just want to go through that last bit again. Sorry about that. Oh, so I was just saying, um, so they ended up, well, because Universal got cold feet because uh, all these other big animal movies were coming out, like Godzilla, Mighty Joe Young, and the Planet of the Apes, uh, Planet of the Apes reboot, they abandoned the project in 1997, and then Jackson went off and started working on The Lord of the Rings instead. Wow. Um, and then that, that was obviously a huge hit, so uh, I think Universal were keen to get it happening again. So if there wasn't and a Mighty Joe Young movie, there might have not been The Lord of the Rings. Or it might have come out later. Yeah. It feels like with any of those big budget, big special effects films, the longer they're delayed, the better usually, right? So the technology is going to improve. That's a good point, I yeah. I remember with um then, with Star Wars, they they delayed its release because they didn't want it to um have to compete with Smokey and the Bandit. They were like, "There's no <laughs> no way this sci-fi mess is gonna be able to hang with Smokey and the Bandit. We gotta we gotta so shift this along." I love it. That's so great. Anyway, so they um they didn't have to. Uh, worry about Smokey and the Bandit or Mighty yeah. Joe Young in 2005 and that's when they the, when they came back to to have a second crack at it that was the December 2005 was the date they suggested and they stuck to that timeline wow. I imagine that doesn't happen all that often yeah. especially with huge budget films like this which blew out the budget blew right out of initially it was going to be 150 million and it blew out to 200 million and apparently 20 odd million of that Jackson had to put up himself because he went over his own budget and that was part of the deal. Wow. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the Robert Roger Ebert um, review, which uh, this is uh, while he was still around, Roger Ebert. You're familiar with his work? He's quite a famous um, movie reviewer. Yeah, I, th- I saw the documentary about him that I really liked. Oh, cool. Worth, worth a look? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you'd really like I'll it. I'll have to. Yeah, cool. He sounds like, I love the idea of the four stars. It's such a, a weird decision to, it's, it gives you way less flexibility in my mind, a four star maximum review. But, does he, does he fuck um, with half stars? Does he what? Does he mess with like half stars? Uh, maybe he does half stars. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, he's given this four out of four anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. And the opening line. Real Kongophile. Beauty. Yeah, he's a big cogophile, big Kong head. Uh, he opens with the line, "It was beauty killed the beast." Yeah? That's good. That's a reference from the film. It's a closing line of the film. Strong start. 
Yeah. If you went it straight from the, the film end. to the review, you'd be hearing that twice. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, There are astonishments to behold in Peter Jackson's new King Kong, but one sequence, relatively subdued, holds the key to the movie's success. Kong has captured Anne Darrow, who's played by Australian actress Naomi Watts, right? Yep. Yes. Um, uh, so Kong has captured Anne Darrow and carried her to his perch high on the mountain. He puts her down, not roughly, and then begins to roar bared his teeth and pound his chest. Anne, an unemployed vaudeville acrobat, somehow instinctively knows that the gorilla is not threatening her but trying to impress her by behaving in an, uh, as an alpha male. The king of the jungle. She doesn't know how Queen Kong would respond, but she does what she can. She goes into her stage routine, doing backflips, dancing like Chaplin, juggling three stones. Her instincts and empathy serve her well. Kong's eyes widen in curiosity, wonder, and finally, what may pass for delight. From then on, he thinks of himself as the girl's possessor and protector. She is likely the tiny, beautiful toy that he has been given for his very own. And before long, they are regarding the sunset together, both of them silenced by its majesty. The scene is crucial because it removes the element of creepiness in the gorilla-girl relationship in the two earlier Kongs, in 33 and 76, creating a wordless bond that allows her to trust him. When Jack Driscoll climbs the mountain to rescue her, he finds her comfortably nestled in Kong's big palm. Anne and Kong in this movie will be threatened by dinosaurs, man-eating worms, giant bats, loathsome insects, spiders, machine guns, and the Army Air Corps. Army Air Corps, sorry, and could fall to their death into chasms on Skull Island or from the Empire State Building. But Anne will be as safe as Kong, uh, sorry, but Anne will be as safe as Kong can make her, and he will protect her even from her own species. The movie more or less faithfully follows the outlines of the original film, but the fundamental adjustment in this relationship between the beauty and the beast gives it heart, a quality the earlier film was lacking. Yes, Kong in 1933 cares for his captive, but she doesn't care so much for him. Kong was always misunderstood, but in the 2005 film, there is someone who knows it. I thought that was an interesting take, I guess because I haven't seen any of the other films, I didn't know that that was such a big difference, but yeah, that's, it does feel like an important one. That's really well put, yeah, because it is just kind of a strange, like, yeah, it is quite creepy, normally. It's just, he's just obsessed with this woman and, you know... Picking around, you shouldn't. And I've always said this. This isn't just like a, you know, these times or whatever. But you shouldn't pick up a woman and carry her up to the top of a building, yeah. much less the, yeah, the Empire State that, Building. Remember you saying that years ago? Yeah. And the pre, even in, maybe even in the pre nine eleven world, but um, yeah, <laughs> certainly in the pre COVID nineteen world. Uh, so yeah, that it's a, it, it's. So there were parts in the film that I felt were real nice. I reckon maybe the nicest part of the whole film, and that could have only happened because of what he just explained there, was uh, when they'd already been taken back to New York, Kong escaped the theatre and was on the run. And they were, they had a, maybe 30 seconds of playing around on this ice over lake. Yeah, I think that's my favourite scene. I was trying to think of that before we started. I think it was probably... My favourite scene in the movie where, yeah, he's slipping around on the lake and 
it's just been it's just right out of the the chaos of the theater scene and he breaks loose and everything and then it just did like a real real sweet job of like new york in the snow big monkey scooting around it's great yeah i i was i'm with you i reckon that was my favorite scene in the film as well um, I don't know how much this, that's all I've, I've read of the review so far. I'll read the rest of it, but um, maybe we should just do a brief breakdown of the film now that we're over an hour into it. Okay, yeah. So, so it's kind of in, I would say it's almost in like three sections, maybe even four. The first hour is um, the us meeting Jack Black, who's the filmmaker. Mm. He's obviously got talent, but um, he's... He's a little bit hard to nail down, and uh, the money men are losing faith in him. Uh, he's he's got this one big idea. He found a map for Skull Island, basically. <laughs> Imagine financing a film, and you put all your money and effort into this guy, and you're like, "Well, you got a new uh, script for us, pal?" And he's like, "I got something <laughs> better than a script. I got a map for a mysterious <laughs> island." Oh, he's lost his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and he wants a leading lady, but they don't have one. Um, and before that, we'd met Naomi Watts. She was, she just got, her theatre was shut down because of the Great Depression. Yeah. She was looking for work. Um, she's begging this uh, director for a job, and he gave her an address to go check out instead, which was a strip club. Right. And she, she got there, didn't like it, but that's where Jack Black was as well. Yeah. He was still hunting down a blonde woman to could fit a size six outfit for the film because they'd already got the wardrobe done. What but the what, what are the order and priorities of making this film? Like they don't <laughs> seem to have a script or a location or finance, but he's got one piece of costume that a woman has to fit into. Like that's locked. Everything else is up in the air, but this dress, I am not budging. It has to be a size six. That is amazing point. Yeah, he's he's. So he tracks, he chases her down and he says, um, I, I want you to be in this film. Uh, are you a size six? This is one of the first things he said to her. And when he asked her that, she got up and was, went to walk away. He's like, no, no, it's nothing weird. Honestly, nothing weird. Which was a lie because yeah. it was something weird. It was very weird. It was getting her to go to a mythical island with a huge ape on it. It's something weird. Yeah. Right? Roger Ebert didn't mention that in his uh, review, that it's a very weird film. A lot of weird stuff happens in it. It's not like a normal heaps, heaps of weird yeah. stuff. So, so he gets her. He convinces her, but um, the money men want to shut him down. Uh, so he's in a race to get on this boat and get going before they come and stop him. And they just make it away as all the money men and the police are sort of shaking their fists from the yeah. shoreline, basically. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn you, damn you, Jack Black. Uh, and the boat they're on seems to be a boat that normally uh, tra- uh, takes exotic animals around the world to zoos and circuses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, or the crew are uh, they, the crew are experienced in in trapping beasts and things like that. They've got like harpoons and chloroform and all that sort of thing, don't they? Yeah, and lots of cages and stuff yeah. like that. None that would fit a Kong, but. Uh, yeah, uh, and then, uh, who, what's his name? The the guy who plays Jack Driscoll is who's the screenwriter. Uh, in this Adrian version. Brody. There was a Jack, Adrian Brody. That's right. So there was a Jack Driscoll in the original, uh, but I think the character was a, a little different. 
but in this one he's writing the script for Jack Black. He delivers it on the boat before they take off. Jack Black's like, what the hell is this? It was like four pages long. He's like, i got to make a whole feature film. I need a script. And he's like, well, that's all I can do. I'm sorry. And then Jack Black tricks him into staying on the boat long enough until they take off and he can't leave. So yeah. now all of a sudden, Adrian Brody's on there for the journey. And he gets over that very quickly, that yeah. he's been tricked onto this <laughs> treacherous journey. He's like, I guess I'll uh, write your script for you, friend. Yeah, he does. Like, I'd be like, fuck you, I'm not writing your script now. Yeah. But he does, he just, he goes, well, I guess I'll write you your script. Uh, I would be writing the most dog shit script you could imagine. <laughs> I would be writing the most unmarketable, useless <laughs> characters would not be speaking the same language. <laughs> I think that's fair enough, too. I'm, I'll be with you. It turns out that Naomi Watts uh, is a big fan of Adrian Brody, well, their characters, because uh, he's a theatre uh, director and writer as well. So she knows him his work from that. They fall in love pretty quickly. Yeah. Which is handy. Um, and then, the you know, the, the long journey there, I don't think... Does, a lot of the crew don't know they're going to Skull Island either. They think they're going to a country that exists. <laughs> I forget which one. <laughs> Oh, so that would be. You would hate to find that out mid. That would be like you finding out there was a month you hadn't heard of. You'd be like, "Are we going to yeah. this place? We're going. Does it uh exist? Sorry to bother you with this, but it's a place that exists. I wonder. It's not. Do you think 1933? I wonder if that was a time where that was still seen as being possible. There could be new islands to discover. Oh, I bet it would. It feels like now we'd be very surprised by that. Yeah, definitely. If I got on a voyage, I would expect to go somewhere that existed and that was yeah. and the creatures on that island also existed. That would be my yeah. expectations, I think. Yeah. I would yeah. I would I would be aghast. Am I saying mm. that right? And, and that's my fault. If... There's flaws in that thinking. It's a lot of a lot of cognitive cognitive biases involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are unknown unknowns. It's got there's gotta be yeah. Um, so now, so they're on their way over. Um, the crew now find out they're going to this mystery island. They don't want to go there anymore, but they basically they get there anyway. Uh, they're covered in mist and smoke when they get to close to the island and end up crashing. Basically, they go on to check it out. The native uh, tribes who worship Kong turn on them, as you probably would. Definitely. And um, so they, they then they cut the they a few of them die by having their heads smashed, and then the rest of them run back to the boat. But when they get back to the boat, one of the uh, people from the island steals Naomi Watts, or you know, kidnaps her to use as sort of like a what do you call it, like a gift to a, their a sacrifice. Sacrifice, yes. Um, so then. Uh, the crew on the boat go back to try and save her and that starts the second real part of the film which is the adventure on the island yeah which is basically all chase scenes it's non-stop just chasing and just unpleasant bugs and worms and creatures dinosaurs stampedes everything you want that stampede how do you remember that stampede that was i was laughing out loud at it rather than with it i uh 
I that was one of the scenes that I rewatched just getting like today I watched it getting ready and it looked a, a lot worse than I remember. Cause I, I get that would happen, right? CGI just doesn't date as well. Your brain, yeah. once you've seen better CGI, all of a sudden old CGI looks sillier. Yeah, but they were basically they were running underneath the, like some sort of brontosaurus or something, and that felt like for five minutes they were running. Yeah. Jack Black's running under these feet and amongst these feet of stampeding brontosaurus, just not getting trampled on somehow. Yeah, I don't know. It feel funny. Yeah, there was a and because they're, they're stampeding because raptors are chasing the dinosaurs as well, and so this kind of yeah, raptors right. running around underneath, and it's like a there's a real sick bit where there's one guy, uh, a raptor sort of gets bumped by a brontosaurus, and now it's sort of on the ground but it's still alive, and a guy jumps over the raptor, and the raptor sort of nips at his legs, and he just kicks it in the face and keeps going. I remember that from oh, the original yeah, that one. Bit's good. Like, yeah, that's sick. That might have been was that. Um... So there's a character we haven't mentioned who's the leading man from the film that Jack Black's going to make, uh, who's played by Kyle Chandler, the coach from Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he sort of plays a real dumb leading man guy. He's kind of a fun character, but he doesn't have a whole lot to do, really. Yeah, that's right. I remember him. Um, then, of course, there's Sloppy, the, the chef, Sloppy. who makes porridge yeah. <laughs> for all meals, I think. Uh, he's played by Andy Serkis. Um so that's the second part of the film. There's a lot of that. Uh, they end up finding her and, uh, with Kong. They do that dance scene. Kong and, and Naomi Watts um, get to know each other and um, quite like each other. Uh, but eventually, and more people die. I think Andy Serkis dies. A few other crew members die. Uh, Adrian Brody keeps going to find her. The rest are like, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? And Jack Black's like, do you, uh, he's like, Go for it, man. And then Jack Black says to the the head sailor, we call the captain of the ship. Yeah. He goes, uh, "I reckon he will. He'll get her, and he'll bring her back. And Kong will be coming uh, coming soon after. And I reckon we should take Kong all the way back. This trip won't be a failure if we can bring Kong home. That's his plan. So they do that and it plays out exactly like that there's this famous scene that's like a near shot for shot remake from the original where kong battles a t-rex yes only in this version of it i think i read somewhere rather than just having all the dinosaurs as they would be they've imagined the dinosaurs having evolved the multiple million years longer on a on a an island oh so they're all a bit different yeah so i think it it looks kind of like a tyrannosaurus rex but it's a bit different Mm. I think that's the reason why. And they call them V-Rexes. Or I might be misunderstanding. I'm not a scientist. I remember so. in that fight scene, there's a bit where King Kong kind of, he just snaps one of the jaws of the T-Rex in the fight. And then there's this sort of yes. bit where King Kong is like playing with it. Like he's curious about how the jaw works after he's done it. Yes. And I thought that was a really, really good bit of characterization. Like he's just kind of, he's this super powerful thing, but he's kind of also just like a, like a curious little, you know, it's just kind of like an ape playing with stuff as well. Like he's just interested yeah. in how it all works. Well, I don't know if the, how this makes you feel, but that was that was just taken straight from the 1933 film. Right, that's cool then. Yeah, I thought that was real cool as well. Um, so yeah, so the plot, what Jack Black expects to happen is exactly what happens. Adrian Brody gets Naomi Watts, brings her back to the boat, and then they from there have a bit of a battle to try and chloroform Kong 
to sleep so they can take it back on the ship. Uh, there's a, you know, a bit of back and forth happens. He sort of fights for a bit, but eventually they get him. And then it's just a hard cut to back at the theatre in New York. Before they go, Jack Black says, and this is another line taken from the original, he says something like, Boys, we're going to be millionaires. I'll share it with all of you. His name's going to be lights. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, and then it's hard cut back to the back to the theatre in Broadway, which is also taken directly from the original film. Um, in the last rewrite of the script, that was one of the ways that... Uh, Ruth Rose, I think her name was. She, um, she made that change, so... To save time, they took out any of the journey home, showing how that would even be possible, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it is one of those... Which I'm glad yeah. for. They, do, they take no effort to save time in this movie. It's, like, the yeah. longest thing, and then they do this hard cut from, like, this cutting out, like, an eighth-month voyage or something, just straight <laughs> yeah. back to New York. It's such a it's such a relief when you're in the cinema. You're like, I've already been here for two hours. They've just caught yeah. Kong. It's going to be five hours by the time they've got him back in New York and then it's like, New York City! And you're like, oh my god. Thank god. I felt that last night as well. (laughs) It was a real relief. Although it would be fascinating to see how they could take such a big ape on a ship like that. A ship that they were only, you know, hours or days before having to bucket water out of it because it was sinking. Oh yeah. Well, I guess a lot of them died. So that opens up some ship quarters. (laughs) Yeah, they... They lost about the equivalent amount of men as one column. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're so they're back in the theater. Um, Jack Black is uh, is is being loved by all the money men. Yeah. Very luckily, got away with it, and um, they're all happy with him because they they're making huge money. It's a big sellout show. What was your impression of this? That it's not super clear if it's opening night or not, but I guess you assume it's opening night I th- because yeah. all those people are there. It seemed like a big premiere sort of thing. Yeah, I would, I would love to see if if the show continued running for like months and getting to the point where audiences were audiences were dwindling, and also King Kong was quite used to it all. Like yeah, he he can kind of just now. sleep through it now. He's not too <laughs> overstimulated or anything, and there's yeah. like three or four people sitting in the crowd just they wanted to get a look at him i guess yeah like yeah it is pretty big yeah, pretty, definitely the biggest ape i've seen <laughs> not gonna deny that <laughs> so but instead of that they never get to that because on this opening night um flash photography basically that there's a longish introduction he's made a bit of a show out of it there's dancers and there's a set piece uh he's chained up yeah. with chrome chrome steel, steel. presumably the most indestructible material at the time and then uh but uh, he was posing for photos and jack black even says i don't worry about it It like even though kong was clearly distressed by the photos he's like don't worry about it and then the photos get to him enough that he just breaks the chains and goes on a rampage which kicks off the sort of the third part Mm. of the film i guess he, he gets out, he's picking up every blonde woman he can see to have a look at him, yeah. <laughs> trying to find Naomi Watts. It's <laughs> kind of fun. How can such a big, powerful person have such a deft, white touch? Yeah, I would I would be crushing some women for sure if I was King Kong. It yeah. requires real, real tactile skills. He, he's like a surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how... 
instead of killing him, they could surely his skills could have come in handy somewhere for mankind. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think he could train as a surgeon? Would people be willing to accept their heart surgery at the hands of a colossal ape? <laughs> Imagine how little, a, like a lung or a heart, would look to him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm look. I'm willing to put my my life in his hands. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. So it's more of chase scenes now. There's and there's like an hour still to go. Yeah. Chase scenes, uh, and then it, then he climbs the building. We know this is we know what's going yeah. on here. He's up to the top of the building. Uh, she's there with him, but she, unlike maybe in the original, he he's putting her a way to be protected like he's putting her in, he smashes a window puts her inside to protect her and she's coming out to get back to him and trying to protect him as well yeah so i think in the original maybe she was sc- screaming at the planes to don't uh, uh don't kill me but in this one it's her screaming for them to leave kong alone yeah that's good it is a good it's tough to manage the the creepiness of of it all and they did a good job of that i hadn't considered that part of it yeah, neither do I. So I'm not, I'm starting to think maybe I don't even need to read out the rest of this review. Are you curious to hear some more? Or? Uh, I think I know what happens, and probably most of the yeah. audience would. Yeah, yeah true. I'll, so I'll, I'll put a link to this review in it. I think it's a it's a at least that start of the review, which is the only bit I've read, uh, was pretty good. So <laughs> um, and that that's sort of that's the end of the film. You know, he gets shot, and um, and we already talked about this at the start. He hits the ground, assumedly killing many more yeah. people. <laughs> Busy streets of New York. Everyone's looking up at him, standing at the ground, probably. Uh, Adrian Brody uh, catches the elevator up to the top floor, even though the army the army can't stop him. Yeah, but he's got a... How inept is this army? They can't stop a man. You're breaking through multiple barriers and then pushing a button, catching the lift up. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he gets up and then they sort of embrace... And that's the end of the film. Yeah. Oh, well, the end of the film is Jack Black saying, it's beauty that killed the place, not the planes. <laughs> Even though I think technically that man was right, yeah. as you said. <laughs> I love that idea of finishing five seconds later and it's just him rolling. Like, Come <laughs> on. You knew what I meant, buddy. And if anything, more accurately, it was not beauty. It was you, man. Yeah. You were the one who <laughs> brought him back here. Yeah, chained him up. Got people taking photos of him, and then, well, that's that's beauty for you. <laughs> Classic. Um, all right. Well, normally now, Jack, uh, we give the the film a banana score. Uh, the b- bunch of bananas can be however big you like. Uh, not a rigid situation like Roger Ebert uses mm. with his four star stuff. How big of a banana bunch would you normally buy at the shops? Um, maybe. Maybe four or five in a bunch. Yeah. And how many how many are you gonna to give to this film? Um, I think it is too long. Like that's I really enjoyed it and I think it's fun and the characters are cool and they do a great job with King Kong. It's just too long is a problem. So I, I would give it yeah. uh I'd give it four out of five bananas, I think. Yeah, great. I I know I get a I go seven bunches. I think I'd give it five out of seven. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but the same thing. It's just the length. I'd chop you know, a, a big chunk out of the first hour. Yeah, there's too much. I mean, in the last 
Last hour feels like it moves pretty quick. Mm. Maybe on the top of the building, I you could take, you know, the, the planes have one big campaign shooting at him, go away and have another one. I reckon you could trim that down a little. Yeah. But I love the ice rink stuff. Some of the chases, like that chase scene with the under the feet of the dinosaurs, I'd cut it all because it looks so stupid now. And it's one of those movies... There's a bunch of these little things. It's one of those movies where it's a classic famous story that we sort of know what the outcome is going to be as well. So it's like, how much time do we need to spend on this boat going like, hmm, maybe this island isn't all that it seems. It's like, we know that. Yeah. We know there's going to be a fucking King Kong on the island. Like, we're... What are you talking about? If anything, it should be shorter than the original because, you know, the original, the people watching it at least had the, you know, the, what's going to happen? We know there's a Kong, but how and why? Yeah. This one is like, we know he ends up dying on the top of a building. It's just... Yeah, what, why even make the movie? Just put out a put out a note reminding us about what happens in King Kong. We'll think we'll think, think about would, it for a while. You could um, you could make the argument that maybe that's what Peter Jackson was thinking when he rejected the offer in the first place. Yeah. And it was only the idea that someone would do a shitter job that got him involved. It was a big success, a big box office success. Uh, critics loved it. Um, eighty-four percent on the spotometer on Rotten Tomatoes. Cool. Although the audience score fifty percent. Really, critics loved it a lot more than the than the audience, which is interesting. Um, it is a bit one of those and, inside but, baseball like movie about Hollywood kind of things as well. Yes, and also Holly. I mean, it's just a the originals a much loved Hollywood film. Mm. I reckon audiences now are, lo- are less like they're watching it on its merits. Whereas maybe Hollywood Insiders are watching it more like as a, you know, because it was an important film at the time and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's an homage to a, a time to... that they all see as being the golden era. Yeah. Uh, which I don't. I see the uh, the 80s action movies being the real golden age of cinema. I would love if there was a... Because we were going through all the Kong remakes. If there was an 80s action Kong, where like he, it, like he busts out of the change in the theater, but then Arnold Schwarzenegger is like a frustrated usher in the theater, and they become <laughs> friends, and then they maybe, you know, they gotta go to, they gotta go to an island to like fight Jackie Chan or something. Like yeah, a real, somehow. real broy eighties action Kong. I'd be all about that. That'd be awesome. Or like, um, uh. Schwarzenegger's got to get Kong from uh, New York back to the island or something. And they're, you know, they're cuffed together for a while yeah. and Kong doesn't like it, but they have to learn to get along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be great. That was a classic trope, which was fun as well. But yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Or in your version, maybe, yeah, there's some reason why Kong's got a bit of inside knowledge. It's sort of like a Suicide Squad idea. He's he's a maniac. He's an ape. He's in New York. yeah. yeah. But he knows these guys better than anyone. Yeah. He's the only one who can defeat them. <laughs> to defeat a giant ape, you got to think like a giant ape. And then there's some even bigger <laughs> Kong that they got to tangle with. Yes. I reckon we're getting somewhere now for sure. Um, so, yeah, it was very much loved. It also made a lot of money. I think it, um, it easily made back its huge budget. I think at the time it might have even been the most expensive film ever made. Wow. Um, 
Which makes sense. It's so long and so much CGI and stuff in there. But um, uh, did we normally talk about if we see much of ourselves in the uh, in the main ape character as well? Well, did, is there anything at all you relate to Kong with? Uh, sometimes I hate performing. Yeah, and I do stand up, and sometimes you do rough gigs. You sort of feel like you're you're a prisoner on the stage. The only thing about that gig that couldn't have been an easier gig. Yeah, the words. Chrome Steel got a standing yeah. ovation. <laughs> All he needed to do to have like done so well at that gig was not kill everyone. That's yeah. all that was required of him, and he couldn't even do that. And he couldn't even do. That. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't even not kill every person. Damn it, Kong! He's a liability. Stop booking this Kong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when the booker's telling you you can't swear at a gig or something. He's like, now listen, yeah. I know you have your usual set you do, but at this show, please try not to kill everyone. That's all we ask here. Oh, that's my shtick. Don't censor my art. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I'm similar. I'd probably say 50% Kong. Yeah. Um, I would also be impressed by Naomi Watts juggling in front of me. Absolutely. So. And that's a big part of my personality. <laughs> How impressed you are uh, by circus tricks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to the last thing we've got to do. Is thank you for your Patreons. Um, and you can support the show. Not you, Jack. I'm not... This isn't a direct pitch. Yeah. Uh, but you, I mean, I'm not saying you can't, but this is to uh, listeners out there. If you want to support this show and the rest of the Do Go On mini podcast network, you can go to patreon.com slash pod. And you support this show as well as Book Cheat, which Jack was on recently to talk about Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah. as well as Do Go On, uh, which has been a lot of fun lately. And as always, there's um, over 200, 230 episodes of that now oh, about historical things. And Listen Now, which is so far 19 episodes, uh, was the season one, which I do with my cousin Sam, where we... Uh, went back through the back catalogue of Cold Chisel, album by album, and uh, had a really great time. Became a big fan during that period, and um, towards the end of it, we went and saw them live for the first time. So it was a good, fun time. 19 episodes, one for every COVID. It's a perfect match while you're locked down, so do check it out. But one of the rewards you get by supporting us, uh, as well as bonus episodes and helping to vote on topics and all that sort of stuff, is you get a shout-out on this show and you get to give me uh, some sort of, any sort of primate fact or, or whatever you want to tell me, really. I'll tell them to you now, Jack. If you've got any comments, please hit me with them. Lay them on me. Firstly, I'd love to thank Jordan Hetherington, who writes, the best primate has to be the gorilla. Oh, I'd be pretty happy with this week's movie. Yeah, yeah, he'd be loving this. He says, I mean, those things are bloody incredible. Have you ever seen one? Have you? Have you, Matt? I'm asking you a question. Have you? Uh, uh, yes, Jordan, I have uh, I've seen a gorilla uh, I've been to the Melbourne Zoo Seen gorillas there I've also seen some on film uh, Including a really big one named King Kong And he's a delight Even though I think technically he's not a gorilla He's some other species Prehistoric gorilla, but still uh, Says P.S. Andy from Toy Story Is the single worst Disney character Whoa But the best primate I don't know if you know well, I don't know if you know this, Jack, but uh, Evan, who um, until COVID and um, my, me getting away for festivals and stuff, he's normally on this most weeks, even though he hasn't been for a few months. Yeah. He says his favourite primate is Andy from Toy Story. 
And Jordan's saying not only is he not the best primate, but he's the worst Disney character. That can't be right. I mean, I'll look into it. Maybe it is. Yeah. Who knows? I can't think of a worse one right now <laughs> off the top of my head. I mean, there's great villains, but they're not bad characters. Yeah, it's not a moral judgment. Mm. All right, well, Jordan will take your word for it. We can't debunk that one. And thank you so much for your support. I'd also have to thank Sean Gallagher, who writes, who writes, I've been talking so well today, <laughs> which uh, regular listeners will know is a pretty normal thing. Um, Sean writes, I don't think I've had a shout out. Well, that's cool. Sean, now's your time. I think you have. Uh, he says, my, I think you have now. Technically, that was a lie. As I read it, it was um, undoing the truth of it. Uh, but Sean writes, my favourite primate is probably Gorilla Grodd from DC. Another Gorilla fan. Yeah. Are you familiar with Gorilla Grodd? Uh, yeah? I think so, vaguely. I, I said I'm not a big comic book guy. but um, He's a super intelligent gorilla who is the arch enemy of the Flash. Right. What was the name and of that? We all know. What was the name of that gorilla that um, Superman fought earlier? <laughs> uh, something like Titani- Titanium Gary or something. <laughs> Titanium Gary. <laughs> is that... Gary is what I fill in whenever I can't <laughs> think of another word. Uh, I think. Wait, here he is. Oh no, it was Titano the Super Ape. I think Titano the Super Ape is is maybe my favorite primate now. <laughs> yeah, it... Love Titano it's... the Super Ape. Definitely, um, yeah, he's climbing up my rankings as well. <laughs> and Superman actively reminding himself that King Kong is not real before going into battle. So I tell you, Super Ape, who for some reason has vision of uh, kryptonite, yeah. <laughs> which is the only thing that can defeat Superman. Anyway, so Gorilla God, super, um, super smart Gorilla, who's the arch enemy of the Flash, the Flash being very fast. And obviously, what do you, what do you, who's the arch enemy of speed? Uh, super intelligent ape. Yeah. Um, Sean goes on to say, I love a good, smart gorilla. And this one was pretty cool in the Cartoon Network of Teen Titans. And now that I say it, that show would make a great episode since you have Beast Boy and many other occasions of primate characters. In addition, Avatar may be a great pick too. Apo, Appa and Momo. Uh, I'm guessing that's Avatar, the. Great Last Airbender or something like that, which people suggest sometimes. Although it did not make it into the top picks so far for April. Thank you so much, Sean. Great suggestion there. Gorilla God's awesome. And I've watched I've watched a bit of Teen Titans. That would make a good topic as well. Uh, Adrian Hernandez Arista writes, Hey, Matt. Sent, uh, I'm sure you guys get a... Okay. This is more admin. I'll just read it. This is going to count as your thing because I... <laughs> Adrian writes, Hey, Matt, sent mine a while ago through a message. I'm sure you guys get a ton of messages, but just thought I should let you know. Thanks. I wish you had just written it there, Adrian. <laughs> because... <laughs> you you got to read so, Adrian's um, one, Matt. You can't... <laughs> it's going to take me... Not, not now, but I mean on, the, on a future app. you got to... Okay. You can't have that big Adrian, a shout-out. can out. you... I read them all out from this one thread. So the messages, I normally bring them across. Maybe I did later. Maybe you will be down down lower on, all right? Well, thank you, Adrian. Hopefully that um, works as a good placeholder and I'll find some time over the 
last five or so episodes of the show. Uh, and finally, Ashley Dickinson writes, uh, hi again. Heard you helped Sam get a ticket for Chisel unless there's an... Oh, my God, that's a message to Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading? What is this just your... <laughs> I, never read, I never read anything until I've... <laughs> it just feels like why would you read pre-read things when would that ever be uh, uh this is from my uncle well, it apparently... says hope you're doing okay in isolation uh best of luck to you and the family <laughs> this is a thread that is only there for people to write their messages i and i've just cut and pasted into a different doc without reading it uh let me let me get down here i'll find someone here come on um, I'm so sorry about this chat. Everything I want to do is impress you and make this seem like a smooth, <laughs> professionally run operation. And I feel like you're starting to see through it. Uh, okay. Uh, so forget what I just said about Ashley. That was something else. This is from Justin McCain. Mine would be the orangutan. Had a nice little encounter at the zoo once where a mama showed off her baby to me and it just melted my heart. Thank you, Justin McCain. Great suggestion there. That's much... And that didn't at all make me seem <laughs> like I did not know what I was doing, and I appreciated that very much. I felt much. like you made it up to um, imply this was a real thread. You, <laughs> you just had to improvise a wholesome primate-based interaction. All right, Jack. Had enough of this. Um, well, that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. Where can people find you, Jack? Um... You can go to uh, at Jack Drews on Twitter. Um, I have a website that's also at Jack Drews, and I do a weekly newsletter, which uh, you can get the link to on the uh, website or the Twitter that I just mentioned. I've been writing quite a lot on the newsletter now that uh, we can't be doing stand-up and stuff at, at this present time. So uh, if you want to see what I'm up to, would recommend subscribing to that. Yes, uh, it's a great read, and yeah. It's, it's nice to get into your head sometimes, Jack. You know, you're like a, you're you're like you've got a wall in front of you, and the newsletter is like a little key that opens the door in the wall. Uh, I guess that's good. People <laughs> can follow us at Primates Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or you can follow me at Matt Stewart Comedy on Insta. Wait, Instagram and Facebook, and Matt Stewart underscore Art on Twitter. I've started on cameos. If anyone wants to find me on Cameo, um, there'll be there's links in probably in the show notes here where it's like twenty bucks and I'll say whatever you want. That's really? right. Since the festivals were cancelled, I am now my words are uh, have a price and that price is twenty bucks. Right. So um, uh, and what else am I doing? I've just I've started putting some stuff up on my YouTube channel. Uh, which I'll link to here as well. Just a few old clips that are already online, but I'm just collating them all into the one spot. And then I'm going to maybe do some more video stuff on there. Uh, feel free to check that out. Uh, but yeah, linked in the... All of that and Jack stuff is all linked in the show notes. Please come and keep us company as we're locked down. Um, now, Jack, we always sign off with a primate-related uh, sign-off that uh, is the, up to the guests to do. So I'll say thank you so much for joining us. And as we always say here at Primates Podcast... Uh, remember that uh, it's not it. It is beauty that kills the beast, 
but it can also be other things, <laughs> as we always say. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.